Uh, Marshall mentioned that my wife Ann and I, we have four kids, so we don't do this as much as we used to, but we used to watch TV shows at night, and uh, one of the ones we loved and still haven't finished, which please don't hold me, hold that against me, uh, is Friday Night Lights, and um, Friday Night Lights, I, yeah, I didn't expect to love that show, I thought it was overhyped, but I love that show, and uh, it's in season one or two, one of the more compelling characters in that show is a girl named Tyra, she comes from a broken family, um, she continually, she's one of these characters you're always rooting for, because she has so much potential, uh, and yet she continually slips up, and there's this scene where she's meeting with the football coach's wife, who also is her guidance counselor at school, and they're talking about her grades, and she said, you know, what's going on? Every year you start off really well, like, you're smart, and then you slip off, and she's like, you've really got to work on that. If you, if you want to go to college, you know, we've got to do something to correct that, and Tyra looks at her and she's like, college? She's like, I'm not going to college. She's like, do you don't know my family. She's like, no one in my family has ever gone to college. I'm not going to go to college. She's like, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know me. There's no way someone like me could ever go to college. And I, I, I don't know if you've felt that. Maybe, maybe you have felt that way about college, uh, but I do think that her sentiment about that struggle, her academic struggle, is something I resonate with, and I'm sure some of you resonate with. It may not be academically, but it may be with regards to relationship. Uh, you've been there before, Christian, non-Christian, skeptic. There's, there's things about you that you probably question if you could ever change whether it's a habit, whether it's a personality trait, uh, whether it's something about you that you don't like that no one else knows about, uh, you've probably said it out loud or to yourself, I wish I could change this about me, or I wonder if I could ever change this about me. And, and the Bible affirms that longing in us. That's one of the things I love about Scripture I forget who said this, but, but we're not only called to read Scripture because it's true, but Scripture reads us so well. And it affirms not only uh, it, when you read the different authors, their longing to change, but also our need for change and our hope for change. Uh, Paul in Romans 12 will call for us to be transformed, uh, to be renewed. Uh, David prays in Psalm 51 that God would create in him a clean heart and, and renew him and wash him. And some of you are here tonight walking in even knowing how desperately you need to be renewed and washed and changed. And yet you probably also struggle to believe that God could do that. It can easily, we can easily fall into the track like, yeah, I know I need to, or yeah, I sometimes want to, but I've tried, uh, and I can't. Or maybe someone's confronted you or asked you about something, and you said, well, yeah, I've tried, but you don't know my story. And so tonight we're going to look just at two brief verses in Philippians 
uh, because the promise of the gospel and the good news of the gospel is not just that God welcomes people who do not have it all together. He doesn't just welcome people who are incredibly messy and incredibly complex, uh, but he promises not to leave you that way. So the beauty of the gospel is not just that Christ welcomes you, but he promises that, 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 that he will not leave you the way he found you. And so we're going to look at three things tonight. We're going to look at the roots of change. We're going to look at the paradox of change. And lastly, we'll look at a description of change. Let me read for us Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you uh, for those words. Uh, God, thank you that you are willing to work in us and change in us, not because uh, we are desirable, but because you take great pleasure in it. Uh, Father, uh, for those who walk in here this morning uh, struggling to believe that, would you give us a glimpse uh, in your word and by your spirit uh, of your goodness and your kindness and your commitment to your children? Uh, And Father, might that stir in us uh, a deep longing and a secure hope for change. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lion King is being re-released this summer, so I thought I would include a Lion King reference. Uh, There is... uh, It's being released in live action, so I'm actually really curious to see how they... Uh, how they recreate this scene that I'm about to describe because it's that scene in the original Lion King where Simba, you know, he's gone off like the prodigal son and he has that identity crisis that teenage lions go through and he's like wondering who he is and, and what he's going to do and he's looking in like a puddle and then he looks up in the sky and his dad who's passed away appears and he says... Simba, you've, you've messed up because you, 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 you've forgotten who you are. He says, remember who you are. You are the son of the king. Uh, and then Simba, of course, is invigorated and he goes back and he takes back Pride Rock uh, because he remembers who he is and he had forgotten who he was. Uh, so much of our struggle, and Paul, if you ever read Paul's letters, he, he hones in on this again and again. So much of our struggle in the Christian life is because we have forgotten who we are. Because we've forgotten whose we are. Um, and here, Paul is, is, it begins verse 12 and he says, Therefore, my beloved... Uh, And he's he's saying, therefore, because he's just spent 11 verses describing what Christ has done. That the God of the universe took on flesh and dwelt among a sinful people and and took the form of a servant even to the point of death and died for criminals. 
that we might be accepted as sons and daughters. That's the summary of a feat of Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And right here in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, in light of that good news, in light of the fact that the God of the universe took on flesh and died for you, and he's now exalted and living, and he reigns on high, in light of the fact that he has defeated death, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In light of that, in light of who you are, Paul began this letter by referring to the people he's writing to as saints, beloved, uh, those who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He's reminding them that what he's about to say, the call to obey, the call to work out the effects of salvation in our own lives is rooted in Christ's obedience. If you ever read Romans 6, uh, Paul kind of wrestles with that tension there too because he begins Romans 6 asking that question that if you've ever heard the gospel, you've probably asked yourself, like Jesus died and he accepts anyone and he can, and he can cover any sin. And, and Paul kind of reads his audience and he knows the question I'm about to ask. If Jesus loves forgiving and I love to sin, what a great marriage this will be. And so he asks the question, well, if grace abounds, should I just continue therefore in sin? And he says, by no means. And, and then he goes on to describe, he says, if you're united to Jesus and Jesus has died and he's defeated death and he's defeated sin, then that's no longer who you are. You're no longer a slave to sin. Jesus died to save you from sin and he defeated death. And then he closes that section. He says this. He says, Romans 6, he says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourselves. That word, that word consider, he's saying you really must consider. You really must wrestle and grapple with the idea that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. You have to consider part of the Christian life, not all of the Christian life, but a huge part of the Christian life, a huge part of battling sin, a huge part of engaging your own doubts and your own identity is remembering that you have died with Christ and you reign with Him. He lives and therefore we live as well. Look, that has huge ramifications for the way we live the Christian life. It just does. We either are going to live the Christian life in hope or in fear. Uh, we're going to live it in security, in the security of what Christ has done, or we are going to always feel insecure because if it's up to us, then we'll never, we'll never be able to do enough or be good enough or to be holy as Christ is holy. I was just talking with a friend of mine who doesn't have any relationship with his parents, um, and he's talked about how later in life that's affected him uh, in, in big life transitions. And, and he said, you know, I, I feel like without having a nuclear family, uh, I don't feel like anyone has my back uh, when, when things feel uncertain. Um, and without the knowledge that Jesus has died and he's humbled himself, that he became a servant for you, 
when we don't, when we go into our struggles with sin, when we go into our own insecurities, when we take a look at our heart apart from the gospel, it will be a morbid and scary exercise without any hope. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so you have to ask yourself, what are the areas in your life uh, that you doubt that God is at work? That you doubt God is with you? What are the sins in your life that you struggle to believe that Jesus' blood can actually cover? Uh, What are the habits that you're afraid to confess to a friend because you feel like uh, you just feel hopeless? Um, What are the private struggles in your own life that you're even afraid to confess or pray to God uh, because you wonder and you doubt whether or not He will meet you there. Paul's calling us to remember the Gospel, to remember this as we battle against sin. There's a book written by a professor at Gordon-Conwell University where Justin Carlson recently graduated from. Um, And he says this in a book called Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. He says, We are not to estimate our power to conquer sin according to past experiences of our willpower. Man, how often do we do that? How often is our hope based on our ability? He says we're not to estimate our power to conquer sin according to past experiences of our willpower, but we are to fix our attention on Christ and the power of His risen life in which we participate. For we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Our growth and our obedience is rooted in Christ's obedience, in His death and His resurrection. Therefore, we go in to these deep and scary waters knowing uh, the hope of the gospel, knowing our Savior who has defeated death and defeated sin. And, and, and this whole process that, that Paul is talking about here is, is what Christians have referred to for a long time as sanctification. Um, I don't say that to kind of show off my vocabulary. Um, but it is, it is the word that we bring in to what God has declared us to be. Sanctification that God's work in us to become more and more like His Son is like an intervention. I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of an intervention. There was a show, I don't know if it's still on A&E, a few years ago there was a show called Intervention. But uh, Ann and I had friends when I was in seminary um, and... and, and uh, the couple went through an intervention in their family. And an intervention basically is when you, you're really worried about someone, worried enough to basically gather a group of friends and loved ones, and you, and you come and you have a meeting with the person. And, and, and here's what doesn't go on uh, in an intervention. Because uh, the intervention can be stemmed because of some sort of chemical addiction, sex addiction, um, Anything. You know what I mean? There really is a lot of reasons that could spur an intervention, but here's not what happens in intervention. Uh, the people do not circle up, and, and our friend and their family did not circle up, and they did not say, I can't love you unless you change. Um, they say, I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I hate what this has done to our relationship, 
to your health. And you'll see, and, and, and our friends, before they did this, they went to a counselor and they kind of prepped them. They said, look, this, this, this could go a lot of different ways because they were dealing with a mother uh, who was abusing alcohol and it really was, it was ruining her life. It was ruining her relationship with her kids and her grandkids. And they talked about the, the two responses and then they said, these are the two responses um, that we often hear, uh, the two wrong responses. Uh, the, person will, the person who's being intervened upon, the person who themselves is in trouble will say, I really, I, I, I'm grateful that you care about me, but I can't change. And they said, when you say that, when, when you hear them say that, you say, no, 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 you can change. That's why we're here. We really do believe that you can change. The other response you might hear them say is, I got this under control. I know you guys care about me and I'm really grateful that you're doing this, but I've really got it under control. And it's the same response. No, you don't. That's why we are here. God's work in us. God's call for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling is not God coming to us and saying, I can't love you unless you change no, he's saying to his children, Philippians chapter 1 and 2, I love you and I want you to change. And, I, and the reason for your hope in change is because I love you. That is why I saved you. Not just to inhabit, not just to let you off the hook, but to inhabit you. And so in light of that, in light of the gospel, in light of God coming to us while we are miserable, insecure enemies of the cross. In light of that, Paul says, therefore work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. This is not, hey, God has taken 99 steps. You take one more step. No, he's saying work out. Work out the salvation that was bought by Jesus with fear and trembling. He doesn't say, let go and let God. He doesn't say, get your act together so I can love you. Um, he's asking us to work. And, and, he, and, he, and if you read Paul and you read the rest of the Scripture, you know Paul is not naive to the Christian life. It is hard work. He's saying that this will be hard. Working out the effects of Jesus' salvation in your life is hard. There are areas you are not going to want to change. If we're honest here, we might love the gospel. We might love the hope it offers for change in some parts of our lives. And there might be other parts of our lives where it's like, God, I actually really like that part. I really don't want things to change there. That would be really uncomfortable. Um, and we can be tempted to believe. And you can see this in, in, in Christian circles where we're tempted to believe that any effort all of a sudden is legalistic. Uh, any call to obedience is some, is some form of us obeying uh, to warrant or to gain God's favor. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's saying work out the salvation that Jesus has already purchased on your behalf. Uh, the work in the Christian life is in light of what God has done. Sanctification is a process where we grow in to the reality 
of what God has declared in Philippians 1 through 11. We are commanded to work, to get to work, because God is at work. Uh, Imagine uh, you walked up to someone who had no money, no home, no job, and you said, I've got this lawn mowing business. I'm going to give you my clients. I'm going to give you my lawn mower, my car, and my trailer, and a full tank of gas. All you've got to do is crank that thing, walk, mow lawn, and collect checks. Guess what? You've done everything for that person, and guess what? They still, there still is work. They still have to work. You've done everything. You've laid out a plan for them to succeed and thrive, and they still have to work hard. We've been giving everything in Christ, and Paul is calling us to work that out, to work that into the areas, the dark areas of our life that we don't want to talk about, the hard areas, the hard relationships where it would be easier just to let things go as they've been going for years or decades. God similarly has given us the tools. He's given us, you guys have been in the book of Acts, right? So you've covered Acts 2, you know, where where there's that amazing description of the early church and kind of like the things they harped on, uh, the reading of the word, the breaking of the bread, and the fellowship. God has given us tools for growth. He's given us everything. And yet, you know, and I know, if you've ever attempted a uh, read through the Bible in the year program, uh, you know, or maybe if you just attempted reading your Bible this week, uh, you know uh, that is not always easy. You know, Genesis, Exodus, pretty, pretty good, actually pretty fun and easy to read through sometimes. And then you get to, oh man, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, oh man, that, that, some of that gets a little bit less fun to read. Uh, maybe you've sat down to pray And if you're like me, uh, you find your thoughts drifting really quickly. Um, And it's hard. God has given us these amazing tools. He's given us friends and fellowship. They're amazing tools to remind us of who we are, to remind us what he's like. They've changed us. uh, Many of us in this room could probably attest to the ways God has used those things to mold us and to make us and... We can also test the ways that those things have also been really, really hard. And they take a lot of work. Not just on our own behalf, but we need help. And, and, and so, here's the encouragement. The Christian life is hard work. So, so if you feel like it's a grind right now, you're not alone, and the Bible didn't lie to you. It is. It is hard work. Uh, And here's the other encouragement, is that you're not alone. Is that that we work because God is at work in us. God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor is all working suspended because God works. Neither is the relation strictly of cooperation, as if God did His part and we did ours. But the relation is that because God works, we work. To quote from a guy named John Murray, we work because God works. If you've ever known someone uh, who's, who's, who's had to check in to rehab uh, or some form of rehab because of an intervention, uh, they, man, there's a lot of work to be done. 
It's not like you just go in and, you know, you get treated and you get out. There, there is and there can be treatment that you receive, uh, but there are meetings with doctors and counselors. Uh, you might have to take tests of different sorts, meet with maybe a nurse, maybe even some sort of therapist. And it is, it, it is really, really hard work. And, and, and they'll, they will say, if you want to have any hope of change, you are really going to have to, you're here, but just being here doesn't change you. You're really going to have to engage uh, with what's going on at this place. You're going to have to work hard. Is that person going to be able to work hard? Yes, because someone has brought them to that place. Uh, because they're in a place where it is actually, it's actually built for them to work. It's actually safe for them to admit. Um, they've already been driven to the place. Are they able to work hard? Are they able to struggle? Yes, because not only are they in a place, but they've been brought there by people who love them and care for them. All these people love them, and they get them here. So can they do the hard work? Yeah. Yeah, they can do the hard work. And you know the reason they can do the hard work in a safe place? is because someone has paid the bill. And someone drove them there. We work because Jesus has foot the bill for our sin. We struggle with sin not not to gain our freedom, but because we are actually free. We have been freed by the blood of Jesus to apply the gospel to those areas which are hard and dark and murky and shameful and embarrassing. And so what is your tendency in the Christian life? Is it all you? We have one poll. It can all be up to us. If you're very competent and driven, you can be stressed out in work and you can be really stressed out in the Christian life because you take on everything. It is up to you to change. Or are you more like the, hey, great news. Jesus, take the wheel. I'll sit back and enjoy the ride. Uh, what is your tendency? Where do you fall in that spectrum? Is it all you or is it all God? God has given us these gifts, these tools to grow. Uh, where are you struggling to use them and why? What are the areas of your life or what are the commands of Scripture that you're quick to laugh off as legalistic or over the top? And what are the areas of your life where you feel like you can't change? Or that God's word could never come to bear or transform you. And if you're here tonight and you're really questioning, maybe you're glad, maybe you've been brought here by a friend and you're in, intrigued by Christianity, uh, but you don't really feel like you need Christianity or need the gospel, I would ask you, what, where do you hope to change? We all have areas of our lives where it's not just like bad habits that we want to change. I think if we're honest, uh, there are things that we want to change about us that we feel completely powerless to change. How do I change? 
Some of us are fed up with desiring bad things. How do I change that? How do I change my desires? How do I change a heart that is bitter and sick of being bitter, that's embarrassed and ashamed and sick of feeling embarrassed and ashamed? If we are honest, I don't look at the world and see a ton of resources to change our desires, which if we are honest, we so desperately need. The good news of the gospel is that we have in Christ Jesus not just a savior from the guilt of our sins, but a heart surgeon. That's why David can cry out in confidence, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's why you can work out Jesus' salvation in different areas of your life. That's why you can bring areas of your life that you've been terrified to bring under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, You can actually begin to take steps to do that. Uh, It might be the way you speak to people. It might be the way you spend your money. Uh, It might be the way you refuse to spend your money. Um, It might be what you spend your free time doing when no one else is around. We can do these things because God is at work. And yet, there's good news and there's bad news to this, but it bears, it needs to be mentioned that, because I know some of you are wondering, will, will I ever change as much as I want to? In this life, there, is al- there are always going to be more things about you that you long to change. Uh, that you will not see change in. Um, That's good news and that's bad news. That might sound overwhelming to you, but uh, Paul, in the beginning of this letter, uh, in Philippians, he says in in verse 1, chapter 6, he says, I'm sure of this. I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? When? In July of 2019? No. He says, I'm sure He will bring it to completion, but He says, at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. And He will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no more pain and there will be no more death. Until that day, there will be things about you that you long to change. Relationships in which you long to experience no more change and no more tears. Habits in which you long to experience no more defeat and no more helplessness. The promise of the Christian life is that there is hope in this life as we battle sin. But the realistic promise is that in this life we will never, ever accomplish all of that. But there is one who has and he is coming back and he has bought you with a price. The down payment has been secured on the cross and he is coming to pay in full. You've been delivered from the guilt and one day you will be delivered from the presence of sin. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We long for that day. But in the midst of that, in between now and then, you will experience this. You will have moments where you read passages like this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and you think, oh Lord, there are so many areas of my life 
there are so many thoughts I had today in which the gospel was not represented, in which I was so far from acknowledging the Lord to be true or the cross to be true. Jesus begins His ministry and He says, He, he, he announces blessing. He announces, and He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There will be times in which you may not see salvation working out, but you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness because you don't see it in yourself. And you might be tempted to throw in the towel at that moment. And Jesus is reminding you that even that longing and that hungering and that thirst has His fingerprints on it. Dead people do not hunger and they do not thirst. You are not a lost cause. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're blessed because we have a righteous Savior who has died for us and who is at work in us. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we believe this and Lord, we pray that you would help us where we don't believe this. God, we delight in this truth and Lord, we also long that we would delight in this more. Father, would You give us the courage and the faith and the boldness and even the joy to apply the truths of, our gospel, of Your Gospel to our lives. Uh, Father, we can't do this alone. And so, Lord, would You give us the assurance, God, that You are at work in us. Uh, Father, for those who do not know where they stand with You, Lord, would You give them the grace and the honesty and the faith to cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.